Hello, and welcome to the Daddy Saturday podcast. I'm your host, Justin Batt. I'm also the founder and chief dad officer of Daddy Saturday and the Daddy Saturday Foundation, where it is our goal to impact 10 million fathers in the next 10 years and to end the fatherlessness epidemic. We hope to do that through channels like this podcast, where we bring on expert dads and father figures who can give you insights, tips, even dad hacks on how to become a better father to raise good kids who become great adults and to change the next generation. Well, subscribe to this podcast. Stay tuned each week. We have amazing guests, including our guests today. Our guest is a popular keynote speaker, author of multiple award-winning books, including Find the Fire and Make It Matter. He's a PNG Procter & Gamble veteran. He ran several of the company's largest multi-billion dollar businesses, and he's founder and CEO of Profound Performance, where he does a lot of keynote speaking, coaching, and training. He's also faculty at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, a very prestigious business school, and top 50 leadership innovator by Inc., where he's got a weekly column and also writes for the national publication. Without further ado, Scott Motz, pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Right on. Happy to be here. I love what you're doing with Daddy Saturday. Big fan of it. Well, thank you, sir. Um, you know, I, I have, we connected on LinkedIn, in fact, uh, initially, and we connected because you are, are kind of an anomaly yourself. You're a, a businessman who is also writing and putting out great content around parenting and fatherhood. And, and that's how we initially connected. Scott, what, what, what is it that drives you and your passion for helping provide content around parenting? Yeah, I think it's, I think I kind of fell into it because of how similar <laughs> parenting and being a great boss really is, Justin. You know, as I write for uh, Inc., a lot of my column and a lot of my articles are around success in business and teaching entrepreneurs or people in medium, small, big size companies, how to really win and succeed. And I started to understand that there's so many of the lessons that apply in the business world really apply to parenting as well. And I, like you, share a great desire to wherever I can share my knowledge and help. I like the way you put it, kind of the fatherless fatherlessness that, that we're facing. I felt like almost responsibility to try to share what I've learned in the business world that can apply to parenting as well. And so I really began, began that journey first as an experiment. And I found out that my readers at Inc. really, really responded. And it became obvious to me that success in life includes, of course, not only success in your job and in the business world, but success as a parent and helping your kids grow up to be successful. So I really started expanding my, uh, my area of knowledge and study. And that's how I kind of got into it. Well, it's interesting because I found the same phenomenon. And, and for me, LinkedIn's actually the largest platform for, for myself personally, as well as Daddy Saturday. And, and people find that interesting when I bring it up. And, and what I say is I hit the similar vein that you did, where people are just starving for this information. And there's a lot of parents and, and fathers in particular who are executives or in the working world, and, and they're dying for resources and how they can be a better parent, manage work-life tension, um, be more confident as a parent. And so I've experienced the same thing. What's some of the feedback you hear from, from some of the, the, the readership around some of your content around parenting? What, what are some of the bigger themes that bubble up for you, Scott? 
super question. And this surprised me. I, you know, honestly, uh, Justin, I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting the level of response that I would get when I started this journey of creating parenting content. And what I found was a lot of what I was undervaluing as insight, things that uh, I came across to my own life experience or in business, or uh, because I do so much research for Indiana University and my work there, when I started expanding into the successful parenting realm, I soon discovered that things that I was assuming were common sense, were incredibly important reminders to parents. So I, I had started out, Justin, holding a very high bar, like, if I don't come up with a parenting insight that no one's heard about before, this isn't going to be successful or useful. And, and I learned that that was wrong. Just sharing reminders of sometimes things that are common sense, but that we get so busy and forget about as a busy parent and a busy business person or what have you. And then when you could combine it, you know, sprinkling in with true rich insights that come from parenting research, it pr produces a pretty powerful cocktail. So, so first I was really surprised that just basic reminders were really powerful, uh, number one. And then the second thing I, I heard a lot in feedback was just how many people appreciate, uh, you know, when I can be vulnerable and say, hey, this is something I'm struggling with as a parent. Uh, I know what I'm supposed to do. I do my best. It doesn't always work. And in fact, sometimes the opposite impact happens. And people just like to know they're not alone. Parents like to know they're not alone in their struggles and some of the the uh, evil thoughts that they have as a parent. Uh, sometimes, you know, they're not alone. And I've, all, I've been really surprised at that uh, feedback too, Justin. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and you know, I, I think let's dive into one of the the recent topics that that bubbled up for me as I was going through your content. And that was a, a recent article that you published at a topic around a Harvard and MIT study that was done in 2018, published in Psychological Science. And the study did, I guess, a bunch of MRI scans, and they were looking at four to six-year-old children recover and recording them. And they found there was this one thing that had huge impact on brain development for children. And it was something simple. It was don't just talk to your children, talk with them. And, you know, I thought that was so insightful. It came from all this extensive research from some of our top, you know, research institutions in the U.S., and yet it was such a simple output. And, and yet in our society today, Scott, where we have so many distractions, so much, uh, so much social media and, and screen time and, and digital, the digital dilemma that we're battling, I thought that was a really big insight and something so small yet so impactful in that article. Um, can you comment maybe on, on what you what you took from that or, or what response you've gotten from that article? Yeah, a, uh, a similar response on, you know, sometimes the truth is parents need hacks, right? There, there's so much information out there, Justin. And what I found, a lot of the comments I got back were, they can remember the sentence, don't just talk to your child, talk with them. Very easy, very pithy, very easy to remember. And that turn of phrase that I used in the article, I found people were telling me, okay, I remember that and I know what to do about that. And it's, I, I agree, it's simple, but it's so profound because as the, um, the senior author of that study, John Gabriel, as he reported, the, the, the impact is almost magical when you decide that, you know, you're going to talk with them, which means you have a two-way conversation, which is 
in opposite of a bigger trend, Justin, which a lot of, um, there's been a big movement to do uh, what's called word flooding, where parents think, okay, the answer is to just expose my kids to as much dialogue and vocabulary as I possibly can. And uh, a lot of the, there's, uh, you know, video programs that, uh, videos you can buy, you can put, plop your kid down in front of them where they, they run through lots of language with kids. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but what was interesting about this study was you're forgetting the second half of that. It's not just about the kids ingesting and absorbing the words. It's about them processing them, knowing what they mean, and converting them back into a meaningful discussion and interpretation. And starting that early, talking with the kids is just so incredibly powerful. And uh, yeah, so being able to boil it down to a simple, pithy talk to your child, not with them, was very helpful as a hack. That's what I've learned. Yeah, so that's that's so interesting because I've got my own laboratory, right? I've got four kids, 11, 9, 7, and 5. And so I get the chance to experiment on my own household all the time. And, you know, here's what I've found around this this scenario is that um, if I talk to my children and if I were to word flood them, um, I can guarantee you it would be the Snoopy effect, right? It'd be the womp, 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 womp. Um, that's what they would hear. And I've experienced that. You know, when I've when I've tried to, to over-articulate concepts or values or principles or consequences or whatever it may be to my children, I can see the glassed over look. It's like when you're in that meeting, right? And you're presenting something and you've gone <laughs> way too much into the features and benefits and the, you know, the person's just glassed over. My kids do the same thing. And, you know, I found that when you, in, it, the, the with them to me is more of that open-ended questioning, right? It's getting, it's getting them to articulate. It's getting them to actually um, talk. And so it becomes a dialogue instead of a one way. And in doing so, it also relieves some of the, the critical nature where I tended to be a little bit critical um, in a lot of those conversations. And now it's more of a dialogue instead of, you know, here's dad enforcing his viewpoint on, on the child. And Justin, don't you find that when you do that, uh, it kind of goes back to that old show with, uh, I think it was Art Linkletter, you know, kids say the darndest things. Don't you <laughs> yeah. find every once in a while they will blow you away with how well they've thought through something when you're having a conversation versus just talking at them? Oh, man. You know, when we I talk about this in the book, Scott, but one of the dad hacks that that we came up with or family hacks is dinner time was a disaster for us with especially with yes. three boys. They're up and down all <laughs> over the place and you eat your food, don't eat your food and stop throwing food and whatever. And so we started playing a family version of table topics and the kids now they'll go get it out and they'll set it in front of me if I forget to bring it out. And it's all right, dad, ready for the question. And we'll ask the question. We go around the table. We all talk about whatever the question is. Everybody gives their answer. And it is like kids say the darndest things in real time because half the, especially with the boys, bodily functions end up coming out at some point in, in their answers <laughs> and everybody's laughing and we're having a great time around the dinner table. Um, but to your point, it's because we're talking with each other as a family and engaging each other in that dialogue. So, yeah, you're spot on. I, I've experienced that to its fullest effect. Fantastic. Love it. So, Scott, one of the other articles that you recently published, and this is a big, a big topic for, for me and for the Daddy Saturday platform. And I think it's an even bigger epidemic. And someone with your expertise and your background, I'd love you to comment on it is, you said there's six words that will help you overcome any failure, and they did for you personally. Um, and failure and resiliency is one thing that I, I think is lacking in our society. Um, and just to frame this up, you know what we've what I found and what the research also shows is that especially in the millennial generation, 
they had those snowplow or helicopter parents. They didn't necessarily allow them to fail in their youth. So now they're experiencing failure in adulthood and they have no coping mechanism. They don't know how to deal with it or overcome the failure at this point because they've never learned that. Um, what has your experience been and, and maybe comment on those six words that help you overcome failure? Well, let, let me uh, let me ask you this. Um, this is people ask me about that a lot. What do you? What did they mean to you first? And I'll and I'll tell you why I'm asking you that the, the first round. But what did you take away from it? Well, I think that that the first and most important thing is that failure is defined when you give up and and you stop trying. And, and I think one of the things that you did well in the article was you're more than your mistake. I believe is what you said. That's and, right. That's exactly right. And, yep. and you know, what mattered for me was that, that it's, and the way I've asked my kids to view it is failure is essentially just, you've made a mistake and you need <laughs> to learn from that and move forward. It's only if you stop trying that it becomes a failure. So failure is not a four letter word in our household, if you will. It's a positive thing. We talk about it a lot. We put it in the context of mistakes and it's, it's focused on the problem, not the person. So, you know, it's the problem is the mistake that you've made, the problem is not you. And that's what I really gained from it. That's right. And the reason um, I get asked, uh, that article went, you know, almost, I guess, I guess you could call it viral. I got just so many responses. And the reason I asked that question first, uh, Justin, is what surprises me is most people intuitively, in a strange sense, they intuitively know already how they can overcome their failures. Because what I found interesting is you, like many others, you mentioned to your kids about how, you know, failure comes when you're not trying, right? And what I have learned that, you know, not only are you more than your mistake, but remembering that failure happens only when you decide you do one of three things, when you quit, when you don't improve, or when you never try. You mentioned that third one. And I found when I turn the question back before I answer it for people, I'm, well, what do you think would help you to overcome failure if you thought about it? Almost invariably, everyone can name at least one of those three things. Okay, I only really fail when if I actually quit, if I don't improve, or if I never try. So we all have that answer programmed inside us. But what happens, Justin, and this is where I'll get research dorky on you here because I'm a big research uh, nerd. What our, what our research is showing us is that people intuitively know they're more than their mistake, but what happens? That internal dialogue starts to kick in. They begin to believe, well, okay, the real problem is, is I'm just not good enough. So I can't recover from this mistake because I'm not good enough. And this belief that I'm not good enough is so often it's caused by a misunderstanding or something we take the wrong way at work, a, a slight from a coworker that we take the wrong way and we spiral it downward, downward, downward. We take a wrong signal from a boss. We, oh, we read into a poor um, evaluation uh, way too much rather than just looking at it as a, a way to improve. And we spiral down and we begin to believe that our differences make us lesser than not greater than. So my research has, has really shown me very clearly that we intuitively already know that we're more than our mistake, but our own internal machinations, if you will, kick in and we begin to just beat ourselves up incessantly and unnecessarily for it. 
It's so good, Scott. And when I hear you saying that, what immediately comes to mind for me is the importance of modeling as a, as a parent or as a father. And so right. one of the biggest gifts you could give to your children, and, and what I hear you say is that if you can go through that process of handling failure appropriately, using those six steps and realizing that you're more than more than your failure, you're not you're defined by your failure and model that for your children, that's what they really need to get from that. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, one of the things you say in um, Daddy Saturday that I really like is don't be the hero. Right. And um, it, one of the, the things I take the spirit of that, I think it really applies here is, you know, don't be the hero in trying to show your kids that you never, ever fail and that you're perfect. If anything, do the opposite. And I sure I, I don't do everything right as a parent, Justin. We could do another show on all the things I've done wrong. But one thing I can tell you for sure is my daughter really responds when I take time to let her know, I, OK, dad screwed this up. Here's what I did wrong. Here's what I learned from that. And, I, and importantly, I'm more than that mistake. I'm going to move on from it. Rather than trying to hold up this plastic veneer of dad as a perfect idol and God. And it just doesn't work that way, Justin, you know, which is exactly what you just said in a way. <laughs> yeah. And for dads, especially in men, it's, it's hard, right? Because that's a bit of an ego check. You've got to be able to let down your ego and show your kids. And the other thing that I've experienced, Scott, through that process that was unintended when I let my kids be the hero of their own story and I became the guide is it allowed me to bring other guides into the picture because now it wasn't yes. all about me. It wasn't all about, right. I didn't have to be all things at all times to my kids. And there are certain things that I'm completely, you know, incompetent around. I'm not a very handy guy. I grew up throwing spirals and curveballs, and I'm not a, a contractor, right? I don't know how to build things very well. And so many daddy Saturdays I have failed in my ideas and being able to execute on them. And, it's only when I brought other men in who had expertise in those areas that my kids learn. And they also see me modeling that, that concept of, you know, when you don't have expertise in something, how do you go get help? And what does that look like? And how do you bring other people in? Right. Well said. Well said. And isn't it funny sometimes, Justin, even if you were an expert, until somebody else says it, then your kids really get it. So, <laughs> so you need that you need that environment surrounding them anyway. So it works out for everybody. Yeah. So, so Scott, you know, one of the things I think that you do so well, and I'd love to ask you about it, and I'm not going to kind of put you in the spot here, but just in generally, just think about this. So you've done a lot of writing and, and much of it is that kind of the Venn diagram where you've got business and parenting. And then the middle section is where that overlap or that sweet spot really is. And for your audience, a lot of times, you know, that's what they're responding to. Uh, what What are some of the core areas, maybe one or two, where you think, you know, gosh, this is really where there's a concept in parenting or in something we do with our kids that absolutely applies to the business world? Yeah, I, there's two things, and they're, they're also really important principles to me from a personal standpoint, I guess, as a, as a parent, which are kindness and confidence mm -hmm. and um, I'll, I guess I'll just start a little bit with, uh, with, with kindness and, and let you riff on that and see where that takes us. But, you know, I, is it any surprise, like, has anybody out there, I wonder if any of your, your people, any of your listeners, there, there can't be a single one of them that hasn't met an absolutely brilliant jerk. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how smart you are in today's eq driven emotionally intelligent world you know i can tell you justin with confidence uh keynoting now for big companies to small companies all over the world what i get asked to talk a lot 
about. In fact, it's what I, I build the core of my business on is coming in and talking in some way, shape or form, how to engage employees, how to drive emotional intelligence in a, in a company. And, and the day of the brilliant jerk is coming to an end. And kindness is becoming more and more important, especially as you open the, you know, the newspaper every day. You know, I don't have to tell you about the need for kindness in this world. And I find that it translates incredibly well, not only from the business world over to my, to my daughter. And it's a, it's a core value that my wife and I believe, kindness that we try to bring into our work life and into our personal life. And there's, there's tips that make sense either way. You know, you, for example, I, you know, I, I try to teach my daughter all the time. We, my wife and I, we try to role model kindness and live it as a core value so that literally you're asking yourself each day, am I living in accordance with my values? Am I living in support of my values or in spite of them? And we keep it in front of us every single day. We, we try to expand our daughter's, what we call the, her circle of concern, getting her to care more about just the small things in her tiny world and opening up her world and showing her there's a greater need for kindness in this world than, than you thought. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've done that in the business world, try to expand an employee, a perfect example. They'll come in and they're furious. Uh, someone in sales is furious with product supply because product supply didn't do X, Y, and Z. And because of that, I missed my merchandising event. And I stop and I get them to expand their circle of concern and their circle of view to say, okay, well, let's talk about what you're motivated by and what you're rewarded for and what product supply is rewarded for. And I have so many of these conversations where you expand the circle of concern to get that person at work to think about more than just themselves and their viewpoint and to bring kindness and empathy to the other person's point of view. I find that it's incredibly powerful to mix those two things. So kindness is, 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 a, is a major one. And I could go on and on about, you know, uh, the, the hacks for kindness. But is that, does that make sense to you, Justin? Are you surprised to hear that? I'd be surprised if you're surprised. Um, you know, I'm not surprised. And, and maybe maybe one of your next articles could be nice guys finish first, right? And, and changing that <laughs> paradigm, because that's what I'm hearing you say, that that the, the paradigm has changed and that, you know, we used to say nice guys finish last, nice gals finish last. But today, um, you know, we, there's this attitude of kindness. And I think you're right. People are tired of the brilliant jerks in the workplace and even in, in the home. And um, I think it translates to parenting. There have been times where, you know, I, I've been stressed out and, and overwhelmed and managing a corporate career and also trying to be a, a father to four children and help my wife and her business. And, you know, I'm walking around with a permanent scowl on my face in my house. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was not probably at my best in terms of kindness. And, you know, that had dramatic effects on the, I'll call it the rhythm of my household. And you, you know, you're saying the exact same thing is true in the business world, that when you walk around like that, with that permanent scowl on your face, that affects the culture of your team and the rhythm of, of your team in a work environment. It's so true. And, you know, one of the other things I really like that you say and, and talk about in Daddy Saturday, you know, uh, is your, what you talk about creating epic moments. And I, I think that concept applies to kindness as well, Justin. I, I really do. Because, and what I mean by that is I find that with, with you know, your child, you can find a moment to register where they had a choice to either be kind or not. And the benefit that came to them wasn't direct. It was to somebody else. And they may play like they won't remember that moment, but 
they do, and they'll play it back to you in very powerful ways. And I find the same thing happens in the business world. As a leader, you know, I try to create epic moments of kindness, uh, things that people can really, really remember. And it, simple things, Justin, like when you stand up in a circle and you're announcing a, a, somebody's getting promoted on your team, paying attention to the fact that you might want to really know what the person accomplished and what their role was in it and say something personal about them and how their contributions mattered to you as a human being and made a difference beyond just the, the bottom line or the top line for the company, et cetera, right? Because we've all seen, you know, promotion announcements blown and terrible where the boss doesn't even know what the person did. They're just reading a piece of paper. That's a, that's a kindness epic moment. And I think it, it's, uh, there's plenty of opportunity for that as a parent and as a business leader. Oh, man, that is so good. And, you know, Scott, I'll just I'll share quickly, because I don't want this to be about me. But there's two examples that has come to my mind that I feel like I have to share with the audience and share with you. And I talk to I like to when I travel a lot, I leave a note in the hotel room for um, those that are cleaning the room after I leave. And uh, a lot of it is around my my faith and my background. Um, as a Christian, but you know, that note is for the person that, that it's just to encourage them and to thank them. And I had a gentleman recently who said, I I love that idea. And he said, I do a lot of corporate speaking. And he said, so I'm going to take what you just said, and I'm going to apply it to what I also do, which is what he does is when they're at a conference center, or when they're all, you know, having hotels, he tells everyone in the audience to just leave $5 for the person that are cleaning the room. And he's like, we literally within an, an event or a conference change the economy in that in that hotel or that that room so they all leave a note and they all leave five bucks for person cleaning the room well think about if you've got several hundred or several thousand people that are attending that conference even if a percentage of them do that you literally change the economy and what a great display of kindness and generosity Um, so i love that in a corporate setting and that is something that that i've also tried to do and then on the on the other side Every year on Christmas Eve, we take our kids out and as a method of generosity, before they get the shiny plastic things the following day um, and receive, we make them give and they all get $100 and they have to go and give that out to, we go to the Waffle House, we go to laundromats, um, and then we go to um, a couple of like homeless shelters or, um, or shelters like halfway houses um, on Christmas Eve. And my kids give out that, that money and it's a display of kindness before they receive. And to your point, those moments, Scott, are so epic. My kids will talk about those moments over and over and over again. It's become a tradition for us. So I, I agree 100% business and in family. Kindness is a core value. It's paramount. And you're spot on there. Right on. I love hearing your stories. I, I That's fantastic. What a great idea about the pain, kind of paying it forward and changing the economy. I I think I'm going to, as a speaker, I might do the same. So you just, you just doubled your, your uh, impact today, Justin. (laughs) There you go. Oh, I love it. I knew you'd get a kick out of that because you do so much speaking. So that's great. Take it and run with it. And I hope our audience does as well. Um, Well, you mentioned um, two. So, so give us quickly the other core principle that, that you believe is imperative. Oh, just just quickly for me, I and I, you know, back to your Venn diagram question. I see a lot of intersection between uh, growing confidence in your children and growing confidence in your employees at work. I mean, we are at a self confidence crisis. Mm. 
uh, in not only in uh, the workplace, but just in general amongst kids. And I'm, I'm very blessed, Justin, that I have a daughter who's naturally pretty self-confident, but it doesn't mean that I don't still work on it. You know, I do a lot of the hacks, um, you know, like I, I'm making sure that I'm applauding effort, not just the result, uh, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm really thinking through and expanding their circle of challenge and helping them build it up in periodic and slow ways and, and mostly just really giving a darn about wanting to build the confidence of my daughter. And what I find is that in the business world, it's, it is seen like you're bringing fire. You know, when you're a boss that actually cares about wanting to instill confidence in people and in themselves people look at you like you have brought the holy grail because so few leaders really think about that and worry about that. Why? Because they're struggling with their own lack of confidence uh, that I found that there's just so many lessons that translate in both worlds. Wow, man. I think that is great. And, and you know, it's interesting. So many people in life have never received a standing ovation, right? But, <laughs> but I think we can, as you mentioned, we can create, whether it's for our, our, our own children or, our team members, we can create, you know, many standing ovations in their life every day if we just take the time to do that and and help instill some confidence. And I love that principle as well. Confident kids are a big part of becoming good kids who become great adults. So could not agree more with that principle, Scott. Right on, Justin. Keep keep driving it. Keep driving it. It's it's just so important. It's so important to get across. So I've got one last question for you. It's a question I ask all my guests so we can have some fun with it. I don't know your background. You may be a boat guy. You may not be a boat guy. So if you've owned a boat in the past, feel free to give that name. If you haven't, then imagine you've got a a big boat that you own big enough to put a a name on the back of it. So Scott, what would you name your boat and why? What a great question. Uh, uh, Well, I haven't owned a boat. What I could tell you is my very first job was in a marina. So I saw some... uh, some real doozies, uh, some real doozy of names in a marina. But uh, so I haven't owned a boat. So what would I name my boat? Um, I'd probably say uh, uh, something. You know what? I'd probably put the same thing on the back of my boat that I made into my license plate on my car. And uh, it's one of those puzzle license plates you got to look at twice to figure out. But it, and I'll, I'll solve it for you. It's, it says capital N-S-P-R-S-M-1. And it basically, if you read it quickly, it says, inspire someone. And that's what I try to do each and every day, whether it's a child or somebody uh, in a business context. And that's part of, part of what I think uh, I was put on this planet to at least try to do. Oh, that is awesome. I love it. And, and in today's society, you may even put a hashtag in front of it. And there's your, <laughs> your vanity plate and your hashtag and your vote name all in one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. Thanks. What a great question, Justin. Oh, Thanks so much. No, it's fun. And you know, it's interesting. People always ask me, they're like, what is that question? Like, why did you put me on the spot with that question? And it's, it came from being in a marina, just like you were. And I was walking around seeing all these boats. And I'm like, I'm so curious, how did these people come up with these boat names? And then <laughs> I looked at my wife who was with me and I said, babe, if you had a boat like this, what would you name your boat? And she's like, that is such a dumb question. Why are you putting me in the spot with that? And I pressed her and then, you know, I'm like, what would I name my boat? And then it just, it became my question. So I love to hear it because it, it really stimulates creativity. And most people have never thought about it unless they've been in a marina like you. So great answers, Pat. Fantastic. Thank, thanks, Justin. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on. Why don't you give our listeners, I, I said LinkedIn, um, where would you like people to find more about you and your work, Scott? 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, if your listeners are interested in, in finding out um, more about me, whether it's to hire me for speaking or to check out my books, uh, Find the Fire or Make It Matter, they can go to simply go to scottmouts.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com, scottmouts.com, and you'll find everything you need there. Scott Mouts, it has been a pleasure having you in the show. Thank you so much for being not only an intentional and engaged dad in your own family with your daughter, but by providing such great content to all those through LinkedIn and Inc. and your work as a speaker and as an author. So thank you and for being on the show. Love to have you back on again in the future. And for all of you listening, remember, be an intentional and engaged father, raise those good kids who become great adults and make it a great Daddy Saturday. Until next time. Thank you.